You are listening to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast, episode number 104. And today, ladies, you are in for a treat. But before we get into the episode and I introduce you to today's guest, I just want to let you know that we are talking today about a sensitive subject. We're talking about sexual health, and we do mention... Um, all the sexual organs and we do talk about orgasm and different things like that so if you've got sensitive ears in the car you might want to wait where you can pop in your earbuds or you're listening alone or wherever so just wanted to give you the heads up on that but i wanted to introduce you then right now to our very special guest today and we had let me tell you something we had a fabulous conversation and I hope to have her back again and I hope to partner with her on so many different things because um, Dr. Shannon Chavez was wonderful. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and an AASECT certified sex therapist with a private practice called SHAPE, which is Sexual Health and Pleasure Enhancement, and it's located in Beverly Hills, California, where she provides individual and couples therapy, sex and relationship coaching, and workshops on sexual health and wellness. Her work focuses on adult sex education, integrating sexuality and spirituality and sexual discovery towards personal growth. She frequently appears on national news, radio, and media as a sexual health expert. And like I said, ladies, this talk was fabulous. We got into so many different topics. I also polled my audience over on our Well Woman Network 360 and other areas of our social media. And I got questions that our, our audience wanted to ask her. So those questions are in there. So if you're one of the people who sent us a question to ask Dr. Shannon, be sure that you listen to this episode and please, you know, like her over on Facebook. Um, I'm putting it all in the show notes so you can, you can hook up with her, take a snapshot of this episode, you know, tag me at well woman network. So I know that you listen to the episode and I'll be sure to post it back on our feed, letting people know that you listen to it. And again, ladies, please go over to iTunes, take a few minutes, give us a rating and review. We're really trying to up those ratings and review because it is one of the single most Thing, one of the best things that you can do as far as iTunes and moving a podcast up and how iTunes distributes it. If we don't get a lot of ratings and reviews, the podcast just sits there and they really don't promote it. So if you could share these episodes with your girlfriends, if you could um, give us a, a, a like and a rating and a review, and hey, you can like us and leave a rating and review more than once. So just because you left it once doesn't mean that you don't have to do it again. So please do. And I sit back and enjoy this episode because we had a fabulous, fabulous conversation. So with no further ado, let's dive on in to this episode all about sexual health and sexual healing. Welcome to the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Broad. I'm a certified women's health and adult nurse practitioner, daughter, wife, mother, and now new proud Nana and I'm on a global mission to disrupt the women's health education space by showing women how to be their healthiest self by teaching them how to be their number one self-care advocate. I believe that true transformation only happens when we come together as a collective group of women who are like-minded, who are curious and want to learn about our health as it pertains to us being women. So how do we do that? We do it one healthy conversation at a time. So let's dive in. Well, hey there, ladies, and welcome back to another episode. And today, like I told you, we are going to be talking to Ms. to Dr. Shannon Chavez. She is a sexual health wellness practitioner. She's a psychologist, and I'm just so thrilled to have you on the show today because this is a topic I know is 
you know, it's a topic that needs to be talked about, but we don't talk about it enough out there. So I'm so glad that you are here and that we are addressing this issue. And I've, we've got some great questions to ask you. And we also polled our audience. So we've got a couple questions for them too. So welcome, Dr. Shannon. We're just gonna call you Shannon, but thank you so much for being on the show. It really is a blessing and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And I, I love the topic. And uh, I feel like we have a lot to talk about and cover in this show. Yes. And hey, you know, we, we would love to have you back again, too. And there's all things, you know, projects that we look for different people for. So first of all, I want to know, how did you even get into this field? You know, you're a psychologist, but how did you pick the field of sexual wellness? You know, I took uh, some courses in human sexuality. And I remember this distinct moment in graduate school where there was uh, someone coming in talking about sex therapy and they inquired, you know, how many people in this cohort of students wanna work with sex? And I was one of the only ones who raised my hand. And I remember being so interested in sexuality and knowing I wanted to work with couples and realizing that you can't really work with couples in partnerships without having some background in sexuality. So I just kind of dove in and loved the field of sexuality. I was interested. I was that kid growing up who was asking the uncomfortable questions. I grew up Catholic. I grew up with a you know Latino household where sex wasn't talked about. So I, I really felt a calling. You know, I want to do this work. I want to talk about sex. I want to help people feel comfortable. So it kind of birthed out of this interest in graduate school and an interest in sex from a young age and uh, you know, doing a job that I love. No, that sounds wonderful. I mean, I, I know I practice women's health and I can tell you that even with, you know, how forthcoming women are, and that's why I love to work with women is because like, you know, they come in and they'll tell you their whole lives, right? Um, you don't have to pull it out of them like you do with males, but funny around this topic, you know, we are, women just are not very forthcoming with this. You know, I just, I don't see it a lot. Well, you know, it's probably on both parts. We probably don't ask the questions enough in our practice to address these with women. I think, um, and we see, I, I, I tend to see more men coming in asking questions, you know, they'll come in because they've got erectile dysfunction and they want their, you know, their medication for that. So we give them their Viagra and all that kind of stuff, but you don't see women coming in and addressing some of these issues. So I just want to know, okay, like in your experience from talking to thousands of women that you've talked to over your career and stuff, what are some of the top issues that women come to you to talk about? Because, and the reason I want to ask you that is because I think that women feel shame around this topic of talking about sex, you know, and like it's a taboo or something. And I don't, you know, and I see it across all cultures, you know, yes, you said, you know, you're from Hispanic, but I see it like in Christianity cultures. I see it in, you know, even in, you know, um, cross-cultural things, women of, of the same sex, you know, we just don't come forward and talk about this. So tell me about all that. What do they come to you for? Women come to me because they don't know what they want sexually. And there's this shame, as you said, you know, why don't I know what I want? Where do I start? So figuring out how to tap into their sexual needs, lots of low desire, low desire across the board, all ages and backgrounds, just a lack of desire for sex. 
there's also a lack of interest in sex. So, you know, I just don't want it or I'm repulsed by it or what's the big deal? Why is sex such an important thing in a relationship? So there's definitely a lot of, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't want it. And then there's also women coming in just wanting to, to figure out, you know, why, what is my sexuality about? What responsiveness, you know, orgasm issues, arousal, how to help a woman understand what her body is doing and how to get in touch with her body. I think women have been fed these messages around sexuality being complex or it's difficult to have an orgasm. So there's a lot of social conditioning that I feel women bring into the practice. Uh, I've been told this, this isn't working for me. Am I normal? And having a space to talk about it that's judgment-free where we can actually you know, start to build the language. And I know a lot of women, as you're saying, you know, don't really know how to ask for what they want or where do we start? So that's a lot of what I do in my practice with women is help them. Okay. So that, that is a great jumping off the bridge point right there. So let's start with that. So women not knowing what they want and how do we talk about what we don't want and feel okay about that? Right. Well, I think first we need to start talking about it because I find that women don't talk to their friends about sex. They're not talking to their partners about sex unless there are problems with their sex life, but they're not talking about the things that are working well or when they are enjoying things. And then I think the the third thing is that we have such a lack of sex education across the board. I mean, worldwide, this is a global issue. So there's a lot of, you know, shame around that. You know, I don't know about my cycles. I don't know how uh, ovulation works. I don't know about my hormones. So it's a lot of education and, uh, you know, feeling comfortable asking the questions that maybe you wouldn't ask a gynecologist or you wouldn't ask, uh, you know, a, a good friend. And, and that's what, uh, you know, I really want to create for women is a safe space to to talk about it and feeling comfortable asking any question. My, my slogan in my practice is all questions are good questions. Because, you know, we just don't know these things. And if we're not, if we're feeling shame around asking them, then we're never going to get the information we need to feel empowered around our sexuality. And that's what I want to help women feel good about pleasure, feel excited about sex. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you because one thing that we educate and my big passion is we're on the same boat with that is I truly believe number one, that women have to start becoming their number one self-care advocates. And I think, and I believe that women need to want to understand their bodies. I think they think they don't need to, but they really need to. And they don't, I, they don't understand like why that's important. And just like what you said, you know, they don't know, we don't know what we don't know sometimes. And I think that when you understand your body and you understand your cycles and you understand your hormones, like you were talking about and peak this and peak that and different things, like when you're going to feel more sexual throughout the month and different things, you better have a better understanding of what's going on and you don't feel so like crazy in your own head. Because I think that most of us think we're the only people that are going through that. And especially when it comes to sexual issues too. I mean, I, I mean, some of my girlfriends talk about, you know, low libido and they don't seem to address it. I mean, we address men's low libido, but we are not sitting there talking to women about low libido. And we see tons of ads on TV about men and their low libido. But what does a woman do and how does she talk about low libido? Exactly. You know, I think that's a very good point. If we don't have the messaging or the support, even in our culture, even in the medical world, it, it, you feel isolated, you feel confused. And I think the 
the way I start talking about libido with women is educating them. You know, what is libido? Is it really this sort of sex drive? It's not really a drive. You know, it's a, it's a motivation towards sex. And I usually describe libido as our life force. You know, we have libido that we put towards all things in our life. You know, things we're passionate about, things that excite us. So that's how I try to help women tap into libido is what excites you? You know, where, where are you putting that energy in your life? Sometimes it's in, in your career family, uh, passion projects, or, you know, working out and exercise. And that's why I really talk a lot about wellness in my practice. And I know you do as well. And I want women to look at sexual health as part of wellness, you know, part of using or, or tapping into pleasure and enjoying sex is taking care of your body, you know, our, our body, uh, you know, needs needs pleasure you know it help pleasure helps us feel healthy and vibrant and that's how we kind of boost our libido is learning how to access that energy and utilizing it towards whatever types of pleasure you want i think there's also these norms of sex looks like this this sort of mechanical process intercourse or orgasms and all these other issues and i'm trying to help women find the sensuality and tapping into that with libido. And that sometimes is, is such a relief to know that libido is so much more than this sex drive that either switches on or switches off throughout your life. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I hear you there because it's like, I think women, well, not all women, just, you know, in general population, when we think about sex, we think about it from the physical sense, you know, like having intercourse, but we don't think about sex from an emotional standpoint. And I go, because when I was reading a lot of the, of your blog articles, a lot of it comes from that. And I think that part of it too today, because, you know, we're under so much stress, we were under stress before all this stuff happened. Now we have all this pandemic stuff going on and even more stress. And now women are at home taking, not only are they doing their jobs from home, but, you know, now we're taking care of our kids and homeschooling them. So I think that, um, it gets lost in the translation, you know, that we feel like, oh, we, you know, we don't feel like having sex, but it's more than just, you know, the physicalness of having sex. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. I mean, women, uh, the beauty of our sexuality is we have so many ways to access pleasure. We can have fantasy that can trigger orgasms, you know, our body and our wiring, we're, we're sort of uh, multi-sensory. So we need to learn to, like you said, access self-care and take care of our bodies and, and spend time with your body. I mean, one thing that I'm a big proponent in support of is masturbation, whatever you wanna call it, self-pleasure, masturbation, you know, self-touch. It helps women, you know, give them permission to explore their own bodies. And uh, I think you mentioned something important, the caretaking aspect of what we're also sort of wired to do is, uh, you know, take care of everyone else besides ourselves. And how can we know what we want sexually if we're not spending time with our bodies? So I also recommend things like masturbation shouldn't be, I'm just buzzing with my vibrator and trying to get off, you know, take <laughs> Take a nice bath, put something sexy on, make a playlist, you know, light candles, make it for you. What turns you on? Our environment and context is so important for our pleasure. So it's important for women to find an environment and things that excite them that's going to make something like self-care and pleasure something more than this shameful thing we do privately that we don't want anyone else to know about. I think that's important for women is to feel excited about something like masturbation and, uh, you know, finding the right tools to do that. And a lot of women that I work with have 
not been given that education and need some coaching around how to, uh, you know, really learn to pleasure their own bodies. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of women don't, they don't even like to touch their own body, let alone, you know, cause I asked them, would you do your monthly self breast exam? No. Um, you know, and then a lot of women depend on what the culture is, you know, they different forms of birth control, like some cultures, they don't want like the, the diaphragm cause they don't believe in touching themselves down there. So I think there's like a, a thing across the whole border of like a taboo of different things like that. And I don't think like what you're saying with self-care, cause we're very big on self-care and talking about it over here too, that women actually think that self-care I always say that there's, you know, there's foundational things of self-care, what you do every single day, that's going to move your health forward. And then you've got the icing on the cake and people think they think self-care is I'm going to go get a manicure, you know, or I'm going to go get my hair done. Well, those are the icings on the cake, but the things that we do daily, like drinking our water, like you said, you know, taking a bath, getting, you know, getting ourselves dressed, exercising, all those things are the foundational things. And I'm hearing that you say, those are also foundation things that can help us increase our sexuality within ourselves. And I think when we feel better about ourselves, you more, you app, you more want to have sex as the physical part of it, so to speak. Correct it's confidence, you know, when you feel good and, and that's a libido booster, you know, how many times do you, you know, kind of make the connection with yourself? You know, when I'm feeling good, I'm more likely to want maybe connection with a partner or connection with friends, you know, intimacy comes in so many different forms. So I think feeling good about yourself is important and that requires taking time. You know, if you're not grooming and doing your rituals around things that make you feel good and, you know, not only externally, but internally, you know, that's listening to the thoughts that are ruminating in your mind and what are some of the beliefs that you're carrying with you that are affecting the external. You know, we are telling ourselves things constantly and if those messages are negative or uh, self-defeating or, uh, you know, really not boosting our esteem, that's directly connected to low sex drive and desire. So that's something that I encourage women to do and self-esteem and body image are so important in connection with self-care, you know, is it actually exactly what you said, the icing on the cake, when we go below that surface, we need to look at all aspects of what make up who we are, you know, our image, our esteem, our worth, and all of that is, in my opinion, connected to sexual health. Yeah, definitely. And I just, you know, it was funny because I think that, you know, different women have different things. Like some people, you know, a lot of women have issues around sex because they were, you know, maybe they were raped, you know, or they had other sexual, you know, trauma in their life. And I think that we don't talk about it to our kids enough young to kind of open that gap and to open all that kind of stuff. We kind of just, okay, we, you know, here's what you learn in sex ed, which isn't really much of anything. We talk to our girls about, oh yeah, you can have a period and this is what it's about, but we really don't talk to girls. Like I think when they're growing up and our daughters, you know, what to, you know, what is pleasure, you know, and when you get married, you know, cause I remember one time I was working in, in a clinic and a young girl came in and she was, we were doing her pap smear and we're doing all this kind of stuff. And I was talking to her about how we got on this subject of talking about sex. And she says, well, I just turned the TV on and I look over at the TV and my husband can just, you know, do his thing. And I said, that's really, that's what you do. And she said, well, yes, because my mother taught me that's my duty as a wife is to just, you know, give this to my husband, but she was getting no pleasure absolutely from it at all. And because she never was taught or was told, you know, you deserve to have, you know, there's two people in this bedroom. Okay. And so you deserve to have that. And that's a, a, one of the questions that I want to ask. One of our audience members asked, you know, how do you talk to your male partner 
about getting what you want without bruising their ego? Oh, such a good question. Because I think the male ego is very fragile when it comes to sexual issues and concerns. I think, first of all, you want to validate their experience while validating your own. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, what a man may be doing sexually may be what he was taught and what his messages were. So there's also, you know, some vulnerability that needs to grow within a partnership to be able to ask for what you want. And I think it requires partners spending more time having these conversations rather than right after a sexual experience. I encourage people to talk about sex over a cup of coffee in the morning while you're taking a stroll down the street. And I think what we can do is, you know, learn to be assertive. I think sometimes we're very uh, indirect around asking for what we want, especially when we're having sexual experiences like you described, you know, well, my partner's getting his needs met, I'm not getting mine. And we, the longer you go without having those conversations, the harder it is. So I always say, start slow and, you know, let it be a little messy. Communication around sex is messy. And by messy, mm -hmm. I mean, be these sort of perfect understandings. I think we grow towards understanding as we start to have these conversations more frequently. But that's what I would recommend. You know, start to assert yourself. Say, I want this. Or touch me here. Or show your partner. I love this sort of show and, uh, you know, experience it. You, know, a part, you may say, well, I want more of this. But a partner may not know what you need. So spend some time, you know, experimenting and exploring together. That way there is a better understanding of what those needs may be. Yeah, that's excellent. Cause I, it's so true. I th and I think maybe as time goes by, you get more comfortable with that. I don't know if at first, when you first start, you don't really want to like say those things to your partner, but I think in a relationship, you know, it tends to grow, but I think a lot of it is we do tend to grow apart in talking about those issues, especially about that issue. Maybe not other communication issues. We talk about the groceries, what we need to do, all that kind of stuff, but we don't sit and spend enough time talking about, you know, how, how do we communicate in the bedroom? You know, and I think, and I love what you said, you know, talking about it outside of the bedroom, because it is very personal. And when you talk about it in the bedroom, you know, it associates, you know, if it's not a positive thing, not that it's a negative thing, but how you talk about it and communicate, then that makes that bedroom a taboo thing, you know? So I love that idea that talk about it outside of the bedroom. So then, okay, let's talk about that thing that gets a lot of stigmatism and that's called the orgasm. So, you know, for a lot of women, and I was reading this on, on one of your articles that you wrote too, which, and I hear this from a lot of women that, you know, most women, a lot of them don't have orgasms all the time. And we tend to fake them a lot. Not that that's, you know, saying any, any bad things about anybody or any judgment here, but most of us have done it somewhere in our sexual history. So, you know, what is it about that and how can we kind of go, you know, get around that and start talking about that and maybe even, you know, having more pleasure with that. Right. Well, I think first of all, the question I get in my practice is, I don't know what an orgasm is. Am I having an orgasm? You know, we learn, I think, you know, Hollywood's version of an orgasm, this sort of mind blowing, earth shattering experience. But what I teach women is orgasm is the reflex, like a sneeze. So it's something that, uh, you know, comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not really the goal of sex. It's kind of a side effect of great pleasuring. And I think it requires knowing your anatomy. I don't know if you can see my necklace, but I wear this clitoris around my neck and I have this other little sort of clitoris model so I can teach women about their anatomy. If we know our anatomy, it helps you understand how to, you know, build up that energy within the body to trigger orgasms. And I think we also want to not make orgasm a goal of sex. And I think there's a lot of pressure from women uh, by partners to have an, you know, are you, are you, are you coming? Are you, you know, are you having an orgasm? And I think that 
that pressure and expectation leads to just a disconnection of what's going on in your body. You get stuck in your head and it takes you away from what's going on. And so I teach a lot of mindfulness to just focus on what is, you know, sensations. Do you like them? If you like it, kind of step into that a little bit more. And I think it, you know, it starts from all of that anatomy, understanding the physiology and understanding how orgasm works. And the beauty of, you know, female bodies is we have multi-sensory orgasms. There are over 10 plus types of orgasms that we have that are possible in our bodies. So I think we kind of have this advantage to be very, uh, you know, uh, well, orgasmic women in our, if we can really claim that and understand how our bodies work. Yeah, I definitely, I, I hear you there because I, we think that the end goal of sex is the orgasm, but it's not. So talk to me a little bit about that. You know, like the, is it, you know, what should we be thinking about in, in those terms of it? So I think if women hear that and they get away from, oh my God, or the male thinks, because it's a lot of it is the male, you know, he wants the woman to have the orgasm and they're always asking. And that's their idea of if you had a great sexual experience is, oh, did you have an orgasm? And if you say you didn't, that's why I think women have to fake them because you can have a good sexual experience, but if you don't say that you have that orgasm, he doesn't feel that you did. Exactly like the audience question, you know, the ego around it. You know, if I don't give you the orgasm, then something's wrong with me and my ability as a sexual partner. And what I tell both males and females is, uh, especially for females, you have to give yourself an orgasm. A man can't give you an orgasm. They just create the environment for the orgasm to happen, which means I'm, they're helping, making you feel relaxed. They're, uh, you know, enjoy, they're connecting with you. You know, emotional connection is part of our way of, you know, getting into our bodies. And so I, I teach women that it takes on average about 20 minutes for your body to get warmed up to trigger orgasm. And that's on average. Most women take about 45 minutes plus. So one thing I know absolutely with most couples is they're feeling rushed, you know, the average, you know, intercourse lasts five minutes. So what we need to do to address that problem is change the sexual script. The sexual script being, you know, there are these sort of acts that happen, you know, foreplay and then intercourse. That's not working. That doesn't work with the female body. We need more sensuality. We need more, uh, you know, variety. I think women get bored in the bedroom and they're afraid to kind of talk about it with a partner. So I think these are some of the problems we can address to help women their orgasm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's true too. And you were talking about in, um, about like, what are things that we can do some bedroom tips that we can do to kind of like get there, you know, and to put some of that back into the, into the mix. Right. Well, I'm glad you said bedroom tips, because one thing I think about is the bedroom itself. It's the most neglected room in the house. And I think for women, context is so important. So make your bedroom a, you know, an intimacy space. The bedroom should be for sleep and sex. And I know for a lot of, you know, people, their bedroom is full of distractions, laundry in the corner, computers, phones, devices. And so I think it's important to create a space for sex to happen because you're more likely to feel relaxed it's inviting you want to spend time in that space and also I think for uh, women that have children having boundaries so that you feel that you can have that private time without interruption I know that's also an issue you know my my one of my you know eyes is here I'm watching the door and the other is focusing on partner and it's it's hard to, you know, get mindful and present. So I think that's one bedroom tip, you know, spend time making the bedroom an inviting space. 
And then also uh, the other is to, you know, spend some time with other acts outside of sexual pleasure. And I mentioned sensuality a lot, and that may include mutual touching, you know, looking at each other's bodies. I also recommend just being nude, walking around nude without it being associated with sexuality. I think we've learned so much as women to cover our bodies or to not look at our genitals or that we're dirty and that we always have to look perfect in order to be desirable. And I think that's something I would love women to break as a habit is to think that all of these things need to happen in order to feel sexual. You know, our sexuality is you know, part of how we are in our personality. And so things like nudity and just being in your body is important as a bedroom tip because that's where you're going to start feeling, you know, a, a sexual space uh, and probably feeling more desire towards pleasure. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of times we just have, a lot of women have low self-esteem. And I think that, you know, that brings out and shows up in other areas, even though we don't think about it. You know, cause like I, one of my things is like, I talk to women, I say, okay, you need to see, you know, where are you at and where, you know, what's going, what's really going on that, what is the problem underneath the problem? Because it's generally not just the problem up here. It's stuff that's underneath here. And we have to be willing to explore those issues, you know, because most of the time we don't, we don't want to know. And you have to see like, where are my issues with sex, you know, where are those coming from and do I need to get help to get over those issues? You know, cause I think a lot of us have issues because it's just, it's just how it is. Is this is like you said, we taught at the very beginning, this is not a topic that is talked about enough from a woman's perspective. Okay. We hear a lot of it from a male perspective, you know, because it, we seem to think sex is a dominant male thing, you know, and we look at it from that perspective, but I think we don't talk about it enough as a woman. So I'm so glad that we're talking about it now and all that good stuff here. Cause I think women need to feel comfortable to be able to bring out some of these issues. Cause we're, we're missing out. You know, I hear so many women, you know, I don't, I don't have libido. I'm here today because my husband told me to come in because I don't want to have sex anymore, you know, and he's upset. So what do I do? You know? And it's not, you know, it's like they come in for, from us from this standpoint, because they want some medication or something. And there's not really medication for that. unless if it's truly that problem, you know what I mean? But a lot of it's emotional and we just don't have time to talk about it. And I don't think there's enough people like yourself out there, you know, addressing these issues. And I don't think people, women know that they can actually, you know, find a sexual wellness practitioner like yourself to talk about these issues, you know, it's not broadcast, you know, all over. And so now that I know about you, I'm going to definitely be recommending, you know, people have issues, you know, go to somebody who can, you can talk to and feel comfortable about, you know? Exactly. And I, I do, uh, you know, always try to educate people that sex therapy is very different than traditional therapy. I think some people think they're going to come in and for years and years, be talking about their parents and family and, you know, digging up all these parts of their history, but what I teach people is sex therapy is sometimes just a place to come and ask questions, get some suggestions, uh, talk about things that you may not have a lot of information on, like vibrators, you know, what's the right vibrator you use? How do you use lubrication? So much of my work is teaching women and individuals how to um, use products and how to, you know, understand their sexuality from a place of, you know, getting good information and, and coaching. So a lot of my work is coaching based. So I, I do like to, you know, mention that because I think a lot of people go, do I need sex therapy? You know, uh, you know, I hear a lot of traditional therapists, you know, I love that I get recommendations from 
traditional psychotherapists because they sort of say, all right, here's, you know, the sexual piece is something you should work on individually. And uh, it doesn't mean, you know, there's no stigma behind it. It's not pathologizing. It doesn't mean you have a problem. One thing I don't do in my practice is use some of these scary medical terms around, uh, you know, hypoactive sexual desire disorder. And I think you know, also leads to that lower self-esteem because you feel, oh, now I have this, you know, big diagnosis and something's wrong with me and I have to go to therapy and it, it leads to feeling more isolated and, and less confident about overcoming these. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just so I'm, I'm now more clueless. I mean, not clueless. I'm more in the tune because I was reading all this stuff on your stuff. And, you know, I'm now going to make it more of an issue to talk about this so that people, women feel comfortable you know, talking about it, if someone else brings it up, because I think, you know, if we don't start asking the questions, then we're never going to get the answers because sometimes around this topic, like we were saying, it's just not really easy forthcoming. So that's a, that's a good thing about that. So I was, I was also wanting to talk to you about, let's talk about, you know, like romance and stuff. And you were saying, I was reading one of your things, cause I was just divulging all your information, you know, how too much of it can lead to unrealistic expectations in a relationships. And then you know, what is the difference between, you know, romance and sex? Do you have to have both in order for each one to be a good thing on its own or together? You know, we don't need romance, but we may enjoy romance. So romance, again, may help us tap into libido because it kind of motivates us towards connection. And it's very subjective. So I always ask women, what is romance? Is that flowers and candy? Is it, you know, a partner bringing your favorite meal home? Is it, uh, you know, chore play. I like to use this term chore play of, you know, a partner kind of doing the dishes and cleaning up the house and that can turn you on. So it's finding what romance means for you. I think we've kind of been fed a lot of messages. You know, romance is sort of Prince Charming on the, you know, knight in shining armor, all these sort of messages around what we should expect. And then when we don't have that in our life, we feel either our partner's not working hard enough or they don't love me. And that leads to more disconnect between partners. So I think one is kind of understanding what romance means to you and why it's important. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a component of sex. What I usually say is sometimes skip the romance because what we need to be doing is just doing it. The Nike slogan, just have sex. Because the more we have sex, the more we know what we want, the more we experience uh, you know, pleasure in our bodies. And that is going to help desire in the long run, much more than sort of waiting for the ideal or most romantic experience. I think that's the expectation that holds us back from actually experiencing you know, frequent sex. Not that frequency is important, but what is important is quality experiences. And that's what I'm working with women more is how can we create more quality experiences in sex? Sure, maybe a little bit of romance happens here and there, but sometimes maybe it's just a quickie. Maybe it's kind of a little makeout session before dinner. You know, it can be these small bits of connection that actually excite you much more than, uh, again, you know, roses and, uh, you know, all these things that we've learned need to happen in order to feel that sort of love feeling or limerence in our relationships. Yeah. So how do you feel about um, the, the love languages? Do you think that that book and do you think that all of that kind of stuff is something that we should be focusing on? I think it's, you know, a lot of people resonate with it. So I use it in my practice. I think sometimes it helps people understand their needs more. So love languages, instead of maybe saying, you know, I want more physical touch, they may say, 
oh, that's my love language. So it helps a partner understand what's within that. That might be things we can initiate and have as bonding behaviors. So I, I think it's great. You know, I think we can also apply it to sexual styles. So, you know, what is your love language in the bedroom? Is it the same as what your love language may be in your day-to-day -day life with a partner? So it, I, I think it's great. It's something I can build on and I use it as a tool in my practice. See, now I think you should write a book on that the sexual love languages. Okay. That's a good thing for you. Cause there's, <laughs> cause there's not, there's not that out there, you know, I mean, and like, you need to break this taboo of all this, of not being able to talk about that, you know, and we, you know, love when they're talking about the book, love languages, it's, they talk about cards, you know, getting, you know, that I want you to, can you cook me dinner? Like those things, but we don't have one to talk about it from a sexual standpoint and, you know, and how all of that comes together. So this is, it's just fabulous. So yeah, thanks. So I mean, there's just so many things uh, we, we know about, but then yet we don't know a lot about. So I, I do think that those are important, you know, conversations. And, and that's why I love podcasts. I mean, this is, you know, women talking about sex. And if you can listen to something and it kind of resonates with you, it, it could change your entire experience with sex. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you about um so what can people do or couples do no matter, you know, what kind of couples, significant others, if you're married or whatever it is, if they feel like there's been a slump, like in the bedroom, you know, what can they do to kind of, it's not quite gone, you know, but it's, it needs some revamping, so to speak. What are some things that they can do to kind of spice it up or to make it more lively again? Well, first of all, I want to normalize slumps because they happen. And I think it can be alarming for some couples because it may signal something's wrong in the relationship. Not necessarily. So many things affect our desire. So one thing is, is normalizing it. And I think that's the first step because it takes pressure off of some of the spicing things up because then it doesn't feel like there's, again, these, re these expectations. And I think uh, the first thing you want to do is, you know, incorporate more play into your sex life. I think that's what spicing it up is. You know, if you're not being playful and sex feels very serious, of course we're not going to want to do it. It's going to feel like work. It's going to feel like this thing we need to do. And so I would say that's something that I would recommend. You know, how can you think of ways to be more playful with your partner? And that may be things like flirting. I love flirting as a tip because it's something that we don't do. But it makes us feel good, not only the person receiving, but the person doing it, you know, whether you're kind of telling your partner they look sexy or, you know, using body language to uh, express your, your uh, confidence in your own body. I, I think those types of behaviors are part of what starts and makes spicing up you know, simple yet effective. And I think that's my main tip is make it simple. I think we try too hard to, all right, we've got to get all these toys and we've got to, you know, try some kinky things. And that may not be who you are or what you want. So start with the small things and think about what worked at earlier phases of the relationship. You know, I think we forget that these early rituals around bonding were so effective and there's memory that can evoke emotion. So even kind of going back and remembering, you remember that trip when we did this thing or I wore that and I wore my hair this way and we, you know, massaged each other for hours, you know, these types of things evoke memory and also can give you suggestions on things to kind of bring back and revamp as part of spicing things up. Yeah, no, I love all that. And I love that how you make everything simple. You know, it's not complicated. And, you know, it's just rethinking a lot of these things that we've thought 
one way about all the time. And if we just refocus them to going back to the basics, I think, you know, I think we get a handle on maybe making our sex life a lot better than, you know, what it currently is, because I think a lot of us have this sex life that we've, if you've been married for a long time, you know, it's the same thing, you know, you, you it's, and you just kind of get in the rut of doing it the same thing all the time. And then you kind of go, well, if I thought about it this way, you know, we could make it a little bit better and we could just change it up a bit. So I think it's just exploring, like you said, it was, that's a great thing because yeah, I get in a rut too. You know, I think we all do. And you kind of need to just change things up a bit. We need novelty. That's a big part of desire. I think human beings are very curious. They need change. You know, I think we're afraid of change at times, especially when sex, you know, we think, well, this works. So why would we change it? But I think we, we need that. And I think that helps us get excited and we can anticipate different experiences. And that's what we want to think of sex. It's not just this thing we do mechanically, you know, penis to vagina or whatever organs we're using. I think it, it's, you know, so much more than that. It's, it's using our creative brain, which is part of our emotional brain and kind of tapping into you know, something that you can create with your partner. And I, I, I like incorporating things like fantasy or imagination into sex. And that helps, I think, adults uh, give them permission to play more. Because I think we also think that, all right, I do everything in life like this and sex has to be the same way, you know, very routine or structured. And I think that doesn't work for people. I think we have to kind of get out of left brain, the sort of place we are in day-to-day -day life and get into this place of play. And, and we need that as adults. We don't have that anymore as life gets serious and responsibilities grow. And I think that's such an important part of what makes sex work. Yeah, I know. I know it's because like, I'm just thinking about that when you were saying that we calendar everything. So it's like, you know, okay, well, on Tuesday nights is our sex night. You know, we do it on Thursday. We do it. Um, we make sure that we do it four or five times a month. You know, it's kind of gets like that. And it's like, I don't know where we go. And we, we get on that cycle of thinking about it like that. And it's just like, oh yeah, you know, kind of just change things up and you have to be and spontaneous. But like you said, I think we just get into, we're so used to routine in every other aspect of our life that we just go to it automatically when it comes to our sex life too. And, you know, we just think, okay, it has to be this way and this way is good. So we'll just keep on doing it this way. Cause we don't want to try something else. Cause it may not work out. Exactly. And I think, uh, one thing couples can do is define what sex is because if sex is always again, genital focus or these acts that have to happen, I think we avoid it more, but if we can expand the definition of sex, I, I, ref, I uh, you know, tell couples making out of sex, you know, different types of erotic behavior where maybe you're reading your partner an erotic story or you're both uh, looking at erotic images together. These are forms of sex, you know, any way you're giving and receiving erotic pleasure is sex. And I think expanding that definition helps with being able to prioritize it more because if it can be okay, we can have this erotic behavior here and there and make it happen on a more regular basis. I think that really helps people not only prioritize it, but make it something that's as important as all of the outings and social events that people tend to commit to. I always have those couples, you know, our calendars are full, but we have no time for sex. And I think, what is it about sex that it's not as big as a priority as, you know, going to dinner at a friend's house or going to an event or concert? And so that's important, you know, helping people figure out a different way to define it. And that way it helps with prioritizing it. And you mentioned putting uh, scheduling sex. And I do want to talk about that for a moment because some people say, oh, do we have to schedule sex? What does that mean about us? I think it's not a bad idea. I'm kind of 
for it and against it in some ways. The for it is we, we schedule everything in our life. So it helps take off the pressure of when it happens. But what we, what we don't want to do is when we get there in that scheduled night of sex, feel that all of these things have to happen. Maybe you just kind of lay nude together and eye gaze, you know, maybe it is kissing and canoodling, maybe it's flirting. And so it doesn't have to be, you know, sex night is, you know, we have to have sex or it's ending in orgasm and everyone's pleased and it's perfect. You know, that's not going to work when it comes to scheduling sex. So that's my only con against sex is making sure that it's not full of expectations that are going to, again, take your motivation uh, and, and less motivation and make it less exciting to be there. No, it's so true. And I think that's where you need to, to, the communication comes in is because when we go, when we come together with a partner, even at the beginning, even, even through it, you can even say, you know, you have these expectations, they have theirs and you have yours and you're on two different planets most of the time. And then you're not saying to each other, you know, this is how I'm, what I'm thinking of. And this is what you're thinking of. Are we both on the same, you know, wavelength and how we're getting there. And that's where I think bad sexual um, outcomes happen is because we're not talking about it. And we're each thinking of, oh, okay, this is what I want from you. This is what you want from me, but I don't know that. So how can I give that to you and vice versa? And then it's like, okay, it was kind of bad, but we're just going to leave it there because we're not going to talk about it. Right. Right. Exactly. One other thing I'm thinking of, as you're saying that is sometimes we don't give enough feedback, whether it's about our sexual experiences or, or even some of those sexual behaviors that are happening, you know, throughout the week in time with partners. For example, I, you know, think of things like, you know, my partner always comes up and kind of pats me on the bottom and I don't like it. It doesn't turn me on, but he thinks it's something that, you know, is going to entice me or get me excited for sex. And I think it's important to give that feedback. You know, I may not want the, the pat on my bottom, but what I may like is, you know, a nice embracing hug or for us to uh, compliments, you know, I think compliments and things like that are actually things that are going to get us excited and feeling good about ourselves. So feedback is important. I think it is important to talk about what works and what doesn't and not necessarily worrying about the outcomes because we, you know, we're not responsible for our partner's feelings. We can validate them, but we you know, can't control if they have a negative reaction or if their feelings get hurt. We can, you know, hold space for them and be supportive, but it's not our responsibility to feel the need to caretake our partner's emotions or control what we feel uh, their emotional outcome will be. Yeah, that's great. And that answers um, the one, our viewers uh, question, definitely, you know, she just answered it. So she's saying, you know, you can speak your mind and you're not responsible for, you know, how he, you know, takes it. I mean, he, you've got to just speak your mind. And sometimes because we're so worried about how they're going to take it, that we don't speak our mind. And then you get nowhere either. So then you're both stuck in a bad place and he's not really, you know, giving you what you need and you're not giving him what he needs. And so that's a big fat zero. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you, I've got a couple questions here. So I'm going to, I'm going to look at them because so I can make sure I get them to you correctly. So one of our listeners, she said, I used to have a higher sex drive when I was in the cycle of, in the cycles of addiction, since being sober, I see a drop in my sex drive. And I seem to be more focused on my career. And she wants to know, is that common? I think, yes, it is common, especially when, uh, you know, sex may be associated or paired with uh, other substances or other sort of processes. I think it's important to, you know, it's almost as if you're starting from ground zero, you have to kind of learn about your sexuality 
from in, from a place of sobriety. And so I think that takes time. And I think it's not uncommon to see kind of that energy go towards something that feels more contained or controllable. So I think, it, you know, again, it goes back to our talk about libido, you know, where's that energy going? And why does it feel more comfortable to put energy towards career than it does for sex? I would probably assume there might be some sex, uh, some not sex, but shame associated with that, especially because, uh, you know, addiction is also stigmatized and looked at as, uh, you know, negatively in our culture and society. So I think working through shame and really understanding how our sex drive works and then learning about your sexuality from a different place in your life, which is the place of sobriety, like I mentioned. No, I think that's so true because I think a lot of times when we have sex, it's like, we go and have like drinks and, you know, and you get in the mood, you know, or you have alcohol or you have, you know, people are doing marijuana or whatever they're doing, you know, and then you have intercourse, you have sex after that. And that seems to be what's associated with, with sex is that particular thing. And then if you are getting sober or you're, and you're moving away from that, you don't have that thing anymore. And you're wondering, I think, is it going to still be the same? Can we still have intimacy without that thing without that addiction. So maybe it's some, it's thinking of it from that perspective, like you said, just kind of making it a whole new relationship. And how are you going to do that outside of that addiction that you were having? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, another thing about that is that, you know, understanding, you know, also, you know, differences and changes in drive are normal. I think we also don't talk about that, that, you know, why would there be a higher drive when you are in a cycle of addiction? What's going on and helping people understand, uh, you know, that there are very similar experiences when we are under the influence in addiction as when we're in pleasure. You know, there are, for example, dopamine and understanding our neurotransmitters and how that works and how that kind of motivates. There's sort of a reward center and motivation in the brain that we don't have a lot of information on. So I think understanding that cycle and how it works will help people normalize and also not feel so much shame around those changes of highs and lows when it comes to sex drive. Two, okay, so another question um, around drives. So you know, do you feel that, I mean, you know, that different, you know, different women that they have different sexual drives and, you know, is that, is that okay? Because there's some women, you know, that I've talked to over my career that come in, you know, that are really like, they're really hypersexual. And then there's other women who, yeah, they like sex and everything, but it's, you know, it's not, they could take it or leave it if they, if they had to, you know what I mean? And they, so is that, is, what is that? Is that okay to have those kind of thoughts? It's okay to have a, a high drive. I think we don't talk about it for females as much as we do for males. It's sort of, you know, glorified and celebrated for males, but for women, you know, they're, uh, you know, call, you know, there's a lot of stigma and judgment around it. You know, there's terms like nymphomaniac and mm -hmm. addict and things that kind of help, uh, not help, but hinder women from claiming their drive as something that they can be, uh, you know, empowered by. And so I think it is definitely normal to have differences in drives. There's so many factors that affect our, our libido. So I think we don't want to, you know, make any sort of statements of normalizing or, and that's one thing about the medical community. Sometimes I, I think that there can be, you know, confusion in certain messages around uh, what it means to have a high drive or even the, the field of psychology and psychiatry, you know, looking at it as associated with mental health issues or uh, there must be trauma in their background. And so I think we don't want to make those judgments 
and help women understand that they're, you know, if they feel good about their drive and they're practicing sex in a safe way and they're enjoying themselves, then great. You know, I help those women, you know, celebrate that and feel proud of that rather than uh, ashamed. And the same with the low drive, you know, there's so much stigma around that as well. Women are called things like, you know, again, frigid and these, these terms. And, and I think it, it doesn't help the, the problem at all. And it keeps women more isolated from actually getting help. And some women naturally have a low drive. You know, we also have asexuality, which is a whole field and orientation around just no interest in sex. And I don't think that means that there's something wrong with you. That's sometimes how you're wired. And if you can find ways to enjoy your <clears throat> or find partnership if necessary and be an asexual individual, then great. You're normal as well. We're all normal. There is there is no normal. We're all, you know, finding our own norms. And that's what, you know, sexual health is about. Yeah. And I, I love that how this through the whole podcast, you've been talking about, you know, from a, from a, you know, like a whole self-care thing, doing it for yourself, because even if you had a low self-drive and you think low, a low drive, and you think that that's bad, it's not because you were talking about how other things that you can do that can form pleasure and how it's not just, you know, the act of intercourse, you know, the vagina, the penis thing, it's, it's everything else. It's touch. It's looking at each other. It's going out and having a good time with each other. So it's more than just the act. And I think that if I've learned anything throughout this conversation, the number one takeaway and for myself and for even for you ladies is that sex is so much more than the act, the physical act. It's, you know, Shannon is talking about the whole entire experience and that's the experience is what is sex. And that is where the wellness comes in for it. So I just, I love that so much. So yeah, that's, a, that's so just, it's, it's freeing and it's liberating, you know? Liberating. Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. So the, okay. Then the other question here, let me, let me get down here. Okay. So another one she wrote in that she's postmenopausal. She is post-radical stress and I happen to know her. So, um, she did, she lost her husband a couple of years ago, very traumatic. She's in a new relationship and she wants to know, um, how does she get the, her libido back? You know, she's starting in this new relationship and she's going through all of these things and post the radical stress. And she wanted to know, are there any herbs, supplements, or things of that nature that she can do to kind of find her way back to that? Well, you know, I, I think there are a lot of things on the market. Not all of them are safe for women. I think if I'm thinking of anything regarding herbal and supplements is thinking back to energy, you know, do you feel energized? You know, are you eating? You know, I always look at what are you eating? What are you doing to support your body's production of energy? That's probably gonna help libido more than anything. And like we've talked about today, libido is so much more than just what we're experiencing in our body towards sexual desire. It's, you know, everything as far as our overall wellness. So I would also look at, you know, identifying libido boosters. What are things in your life that can help you get there? And it could be starting with self-image, you know, going through menopause sometimes takes a big toll on your confidence because we've learned in our society, menopause is stigmatized, looked at as a sort of end of sexuality and just those beliefs can drain your libido. So I think we have to change our messaging around menopause for women. I think it's great to be in a new relationship and, you know, think about the things that actually make you feel good. I'm in a new relationship. I'm past all of my trauma and stress and I'm in a place where I feel good about myself and just starting to change your mindset and belief system is going to boost your libido, maybe even more than any herbs or supplements because we 
don't necessarily need something. Sometimes there's a placebo. If I take this, I'm going to feel more sexual desire. And it's about, you know, taking care of your wellness. I think that is my biggest tip. You know, if you're eating well, you're exercising, you're doing self-care, as you mentioned, in all those different ways, then that's going to be more of a libido booster. And then looking at the drainers, I think that's what I usually do with my clients. What are the libido drainers and boosters? And that way you know how to maintain or manage those drainers. And drainers can sometimes be people in our life. Yeah. You know, have uh, people in our life that we're caretaking or friendships or relationships that are draining our libido and being in a new relationship that can be sort of this tug of war you know these people are draining but I want libido towards sex with my new partner and so that might be something to help with uh, you know identifying this issue and so that would be something to look at you know really spending some time thinking about those boosters and drainers in your life. Oh cool those are so awesome. So with the last few minutes here, so anything else that you, I mean, first of all, we have learned so much through this and, you know, a whole new way of thinking about sexual wellness. And I think that's going to go a long, long way to um, changing things and making things better. But any last tips that you want to leave with our audience and, you know, how can they get a hold of you if they need to, all your different channels and stuff. We'll put those also in the show notes, ladies, um, or anything, any last tips, my friend? Yes, you know, one of my favorite models in sex therapy is the PLICIT model. And PLICIT stands for permission, you know, permission to talk about it, permission to ask for help. And the next step in that model is, uh, you know, uh, listing limited information and remembering that we have in our society lack of education and we don't really have a lot of those tools. We're not born knowing anything about our sexuality. So remembering that we need information. And so that's what a lot of sex therapy is. Also specific suggestions. And that's what you're going to get in this work. Here's something to try out. See how this works and giving feedback. And then the last step in the model is intensive therapy. So my point in bringing up this model is not all sexual issues need intensive work. So sometimes you can just kind of come in and get a little bit of help. So people can reach out to me on social media at Dr. Shannon Chavez. I love questions. I also offer a complimentary phone consult, uh, 15 minutes that you can schedule through my website. And I offer that to kind of help people find out if this is the right fit for them. And then also, uh, I have a lot of great resources on my website. So go to drshannonchavez.com where you can see articles and blogs. And I, I love writing about all sexuality. So uh, I would say for any listeners out there to just find as many resources as possible. Sex is something so fun to learn about. I, as a clinician, every day I'm learning something new and it's, uh, you know, we're, we're not, uh, you know, we don't need to feel like we need to know it all. We're, we're always learning and evolving and changing. So uh, there's always something new that we can find out about ourselves and our sexuality. Definitely. I definitely did that. And ladies do go to her website. She has a plethora of information. She has a lot of great blogs. I was pursuing them all last night. So it was great. And I learned a lot of new stuff for myself. And you know, you're, you're never too old or you never know too much to get new information and to learn different things, because that's what we're all about. Self-care is about a constant journey, learning about yourself and about your body. And just like Dr. Shannon, she says the same thing that I do. 
you know, you need to understand your body and it's, and it just doesn't go from your, you know, your normal stuff. It goes from your sexual health as well as we're learning today. So feel free to reach out to her for any questions that you may have. You know, we talk about on here, I'm probably going to have her write an article for us and put it up on our site if she's willing to do that. And if we can have her back, any questions that you have that you'd like me to answer, she find her on social media. She's on Instagram. You can go to her site. So Dr. Shannon, thank you so much for being here today. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been a blessing. I know that you blessed everybody that's um, tuning in. And um, so thank you. Thank you for having me. And I would love to come back and share all this knowledge. And I appreciate all your listeners for uh, checking out this, this podcast today. Well, thank you so much. And we'll be talking to you soon, ladies. And like we always say, may God richly bless the rest of your week. And we'll talk to you and see you soon. Bye for now. The information, including but not limited to, text, graphics, images, and other material contained on the main Well Woman Network website, in Well Woman Network blog post, on the Well Woman Healthy Lifestyle podcast, and any other Well Woman Network health educational resources are for educational purposes only. The purpose of Well Woman Network's educational resources is to promote broad consumer understanding and knowledge of various women's health topics. It is not intended to, to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard or read on any of our platforms.